Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hi, everyone. This is Julia Longoria, host of The Experiment. One of the very best parts of my job is getting to call up journalists like Ed Young, Van Newkirk, and Amanda Mole. Their reporting for The Atlantic has brought vital insight to millions of readers and listeners around the world. You can enjoy all of The Atlantic's groundbreaking journalism, gain unlimited access to every single story when you become a subscriber. Just go to theatlantic.com slash listener and get started. I wanted to know how we should even begin to get used to the weirdness of touching other people. Emma Green is a staff writer at The Atlantic who writes about the tough stuff, politics, religion. And she recently went looking for an answer to a question. You know, I've been thinking a lot about what it's going to take for us to collectively move out of pandemic mode. And I don't necessarily even mean touching in the kind of capital T, dirty magazine sense of the word. I mean, like, after a year of being hermetically sealed off, a year and a half um, for a lot of people, some people didn't live like that, but a lot of Americans did. It's so weird to be in physical proximity to another human. It's so weird to give hugs. It's weird. And Emma thought, who would be the expert on this? Hello, you are on the air. Uh, Dr. Ruth, what can a couple who has been married for a long time do about sexual boredom? Fabulous question. Dr. Ruth is the master of this stuff. So I do believe that a sex life has to be nourished like a fire. Do something that is very different. In the middle of the day, take a bubble bath, drink champagne. This woman who in middle age and even in older age became a kind of coach. Does he wake up with an erection in the morning? I don't know. Can you peek? (laughs) For people to ask questions and talk about sex in a way that had been really verboten. But you have changed sex for America. I do. You have changed sex. It's not the same thing anymore. Don't you tell me that it's less good now. No, it's better now. Everyone knows it. Now it's like a sport. Now people suit up for the game. I mean, she's just this iconic figure who has showed up everywhere and taken pictures with everyone. That's when you need sexual therapy. That's when you need help from a little tiny lady like Dr. Ruth Westheimer. Yes, Dr. Westheimer. Here's a woman talking about all sex, and you know she doesn't even eat pork. Warning. Even before she became famous, her life was extraordinary. She lived through the Holocaust. Her parents were Orthodox Jews. She was about 10 years old when her parents put her on a train, a kinder transport, to Switzerland from where they lived in Frankfurt, Germany. She lived at a a home in Switzerland throughout the duration of the Holocaust and lost her parents and, and her grandmother. She became an orphan moved to Israel and served in the precursor to the Israeli military during the War of Independence and almost lost her feet 
during an explosion. And then she moved to Europe. She moved to the United States. She was a single mom for a while. She lived through the death of her husband. So I felt like she would have wisdom here because we've just been through this traumatic thing that is huge and collective and historic and so hard to grapple with. And she just has lived that. She's lived through so many tough and traumatic things in her life. Hmm. You know, I wanted her to help me understand, like, how do we go about regaining that sense of, of intimacy with other people's bodies? This week... Emma Green asks Dr. Ruth Westheimer for wisdom. How do we learn from the pandemic and get close to other people again? I'm Julia Longoria. This is The Experiment. I wanted to see the place where she had lived out the pandemic. So I looked her up and found that she has lived for about 50 years in my neighborhood mm-hmm. uh, in New York City. So I figured I'd pop over and see her. Just look at the view. You know, I... You don't have that from your place. I, I, that's very true, and I am stunned. This I learned quickly when I met Dr. Ruth that any preconceived script I had for how the conversation was going to go was totally thrown out the window. But I have to tell you what's new, mm. because that's what you need. Mm. Dr. Ruth has a tendency to take control. She had a whole bullet list of items she wanted to review that she had written on a piece of computer paper with black Sharpie. This is the latest book. You, you probably have it. Ask Dr. Ruth. That's about joie de vivre, rest for life. An important concept. Okay, so now I have to tell you what else is new. Okay. I'm going to be 93. So what are you going to do to celebrate your birthday? This time, nothing, because I'm... a what is it called, an endangered species. She recognized that with her age, she's frail. And, Mm. you know, I I wanted to see this person who is clearly a lover of human beings. She's super social. She's super outgoing. And yet she's been inside of this apartment for the entire pandemic. So I I wonder what has the last... 15 months been like for you since okay. the pandemic was like... So what it has meant for me is that I was very obedient. That's the word that pops into my mind. Hmm. I used to have a lot of dinner parties out. I did not do that. Yeah. Not even now. The whole year, I, um, I kind of... I'm an optimist, and I knew it would somehow end. So... I stuck it out. And were you lonely? Was I lonely? Of course. Lonely? Yeah, of course. Not only that, any widow. Uh, I've now been a widow for over 20 years. Mm. And there are moments of loneliness. And what I then do is go right to the list of the positive things that you have. In in that respect, I'm a very good therapist for myself. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And then I am on the phone a lot. Mm. My friends, I talk to them almost every day. Mm. I'm very careful. 
My daughter took me for the vaccinations to Javits Center. So now, Dr. Ruth is in this moment where, like a lot of us, she got vaccinated and she's slowly starting to enter the real world again. So I wondered if she had advice for people who are thinking about dating and having sex. I say to everybody, I hope that right now, after the epidemic, that you go out and that you find a partner. What do you mean by that? What are you, what are you hoping to see? I hope that right now people should be optimistic again. Mm. They're definitely single people should say, okay, the time has come for me to participate, go out and find a partner. You know, I, I saw this gum commercial, chewing gum commercial recently that made me think of you, where um, it's for a chewing gum brand and it showed all of these people waking up after the pandemic and going out and emerging from their homes and they're all finding each other and starting to make out. And they're making out all over in the lawn and in the pond and in the park and whatever. That. I didn't see that. So I wonder if you think um, it's good for people to go out and start, you know, kind of being together, to get together and, you no, know, find new people no, because, and that kind of thing? No, I tell you why. Okay. I do not want people to have indiscriminate sexual relations. Okay. I don't want to see a rise in AIDS. Uh-huh. I have spent so much time of my life to worry about unintended pregnancies mm. and about sexually transmitted diseases. Mm. So my advice is, yes, go out, try to find a partner, mm. but don't hop into bed mm. just because you didn't have sex mm. for a year and a half. Mm. That would be a big mistake. Put an exclamation mark <laughs> next to mistake. <laughs> I also was really interested in the dynamics of dating and sex for people who have basically had to abstain from that, willingly or not, for the last year and a half. Just by happenstance, we've been forced to live our lives really differently. And some people who might have had sex on the third date or on the fifth date have suddenly found themselves, you know, waiting and getting to know someone without sex over the course of a year or more. And um, I wonder if you think that there could be an insight there about... No, you don't, I don't think don't so? I don't, I don't want to speculate. Yeah? No. Okay. I, don't, I think it's very... Different. I don't want to make a, a statement uh, that that is better than sometimes people have sex at the first time uh -huh. and are married for 50 years afterwards. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. On the other hand, learn one lesson. To be alone and lonely is not a solution. Mm. So that lesson you have to learn by going out and finding yourself a partner. Yeah. That doesn't mean you should hop into bed with the first one. That means that does not mean that you shouldn't be careful mm. about unintended pregnancies and sexually transmitted disease. And uh, if you see that there is a problem sexually when the two of when the two of you get together, go and see a therapist. Mm. Fair enough. Sometimes this is not a deep-seated psychological problem. But some, some knowledge about good sexual functioning. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny because I feel like I know so many people who felt despair during the pandemic, mm -hmm. not only about being lonely on a daily sense, but felt despair about ever finding someone to be with. Then I will say, if you, 
if you feel despair, uh, and if it's serious, go and see a psychiatrist. Sure. Don't sit there and suffer by yourself. Sure. But I, I mean more, um, you know, I think the pandemic showed us how important relationships are. That the I people don't want in your to say life, that. You don't think so? Would, no. I, I, because what I say is, a few more months, people are not going to talk about the epidemic anymore. You think? Yes. Really? Yes. You think we're just the thing that was shocking to me, <laughs> I guess I shouldn't have been shocked, <laughs> but the thing that was shocking to me was that she was totally unsympathetic to all of my searching, delicate, you know, meaningful, thoughtful questions. You think we're just going to move on and leave it behind? Absolutely, and that's what I subscribe to. Really? Yes. The one thing that I hear people talking about is this idea that it's hard to go back to normal right now. The what? It's hard to go back to normal life because people feel like they've lived through something traumatic. People feel what? That they've lived through something traumatic. I wonder in I, terms of relationships, like um, being back with people, like so how do you... about relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Emma, here's about relationship. A good relationship is going to survive. Mm. And I'm going to say to people, stop constantly talking about how difficult it was. Mm. We all know that, mm. period. A not good relationship is not going to survive. Mm. The, as you know, in the Jewish tradition, it's perfectly all right to divorce. Mm. There is no, it's not a, a, a busha, it's not a shande, it's not something that you have to be embarrassed about mm. if it didn't work. Yeah. So my advice is, when you talk on the phone, find something before you pick up the phone, something positive mm. that you can discuss. Because all of this, uh, how terrible it was, and, 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 and how upset, and how lonely, is not going to help you. Just have that joie de vivre, that joy of life, in, in your heart. You're not going to forget this year. Sure. But but stop harboring on it. Yeah. Because there's nothing you can do about it. Why do you think that's better? Because I think that that's what, what happens, and that's from my experience as an orphan of the Holocaust. If I would not have had the inner strength to keep on and go on, I wouldn't be Dr. Ruth. Mm. So I, I don't want to dwell on it as yet. And hold it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Hello? Hello? After the break, how Ruth's past can inform our future. Bye-bye, Chuck. Bye. Bye. Okay. Hi, everyone. This is Julia Longoria, host of The Experiment. One of the very best parts of my job is getting to call up journalists like Ed Young, Van Newkirk, and Amanda Mole. Their reporting for The Atlantic has brought vital insight to millions of readers and listeners around the world. You can enjoy all of The Atlantic's groundbreaking journalism, gain unlimited access to every single story when you become a subscriber. Just go to theatlantic.com slash listener and get started. Dr. Ruth told me that we should basically just forget about the pandemic, move on with our lives. 
but it made me wonder how she carries all of these other painful moments from her past, like the fact that her parents were killed in the Holocaust. It has struck me that people of your generation are the last people who lived through the Holocaust. You know, my son, he's not going to grow up around that many people who are survivors or who lived through the Holocaust. And I wonder what you think that will mean for okay, I'll the tell world. You what that will mean. Yeah. So um, the next generation, the next, next, next generation, like your son, uh, eventually it's going to look, to, to feel for him like ancient history. But there is no question that there is enough material and enough literature and enough museums for, for them to learn the history of never again. But it's a very important question that you have because if it will look to them like ancient history, then it will not have the same impact mm. as if one can say, but your grandmother's parents were in Europe. So I certainly need to stand up to be counted for the deniers of the Holocaust, mm. for those people who say it never happened, and for people who say Holocaust fatigue, mm. don't talk about it anymore. But I'm also saying mm. that you have to have a certain, a certain balance. For example, there are some people who are obsessed with it, not necessarily Holocaust survivors, other people who, who, who every conversation talk about the Holocaust. These people I try not to call so, so often on the phone mm. because I protect myself. Mm. No. When I talked to Dr. Ruth about the Holocaust, I think I realized why she talked about the pandemic in this way. She is someone who is focused relentlessly on living, not lingering on the past, but just being totally energized in every moment of the present. And as you see, I'm doing new things. Oh, I'm waiting to? to see when I can go to Israel, mm -hmm. because I used to go every year. Mm -hmm. Luckily, we have a place one hour from New York. Mm. So we are all set for the summer. Wow. She's got all these schemes. She's focused on the future, even at 93 years old. It was wonderful last night to see a restaurant filled to the last table. Mm. It was wonderful to see a few weeks ago on Riverside Park, everybody watching the blooming trees. Mm. It was wonderful to go to the Fortrion Park to see the little tulips. Mm. And then next year there will be many more miniature tulips in beautiful colors. I think this orientation towards the future is the mark of a true optimist. This is Dr. Ruth's advice for everyone else. Look forward, not backward. Forget about that terrible year, except keep the lessons of that year alive. That if there is God forbid, if there is another outbreak, learn from the experience that we have had this year. Mm. But right now, move on. 
what do you make of her advice? It seems like a lot of media right now during this time has been about, you know, acknowledging our trauma, saying it out loud, trying to recognize it. And she kind of had an opposite view. It did feel very much counter to the times. We're living in a time when there's a lot of public discussion about trauma, about the disproportionate impact that something like the pandemic has on different groups of people, the way that that can really stick with people. Um, you know, it's it's a time that I think in good ways is more open about things that are hard. It's not as sort of shut down, you know, hiding behind walls. Um, and people having pain to deal with themselves by themselves. But I do I do think there's value in the Dr. Ruth way of looking at the world. I mean, as we are all moving into some kind of normalcy, um, you know, we're all doing it at our own rates. <laughs> um, um, what did you make of her advice in your own life? You know, I think I could stand to live life a little bit more like Dr. Ruth because I think there is this temptation to be in constant, you know, drumbeat of miseries mode. And for good reason. People have been through really hard stuff. And it's good to be honest with friends and family and coworkers when they ask, how are you doing? It's good to answer that that honestly. But, you know, I, I took away from the conversation a kind of reminder, a kick in the butt to not just dwell in the parts of my life that are hard or that are a grind or that have really drained me and my family during the pandemic because there's a lot that's awesome and there's a lot that is coming that is awesome. This episode was produced by Julia Longoria and Catherine Wells, with help from me, Kevin Townsend. Fact check by William Brennan. Sound design by Alexander Overington. Music by Tasty Morsels. Our team also includes Gabrielle Burbet, Tracy Hunt, Emily Botine, and Natalia Ramirez. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The experiment is a co-production of The Atlantic, and WNYC Studios. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. This is Julia Longoria, host of The Experiment. One of the very best parts of my job is getting to call up journalists like Ed Young, Van Newkirk, and Amanda Mole. Their reporting for The Atlantic has brought vital insight to millions of readers and listeners around the world. You can enjoy all of The Atlantic's groundbreaking journalism, gain unlimited access to every single story when you become a subscriber. Just go to theatlantic.com listener and get started.